Our scripture this morning is taken from John chapter 4. It's a familiar passage to many of us. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to preface at least part of it, uh, give you an overview, because we're going to actually focus on just two verses from John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But let me just give you a little bit of an example of what was going on there. Jesus, and John writes this, was having to go through Samaria. It was one of those things that, it was a necessity, driven by the Father's will for him, and they went through Samaria to the town of Sychar, and it was the middle of the day, probably hot, and they've been traveling, and Jesus is tired. Now, the, the rest of the, the disciples had gone into town to buy food, and he sits down here at the well for a divine appointment, because a woman comes out from the town to get water. Why is that significant? Well, ordinarily, the women of the town would go out and get the water in the morning the evening, and that was the extent of it. But this woman wasn't in the best of report with the people in the town. She was not popular, at least with the other women. Seems like she was probably popular with the men. And she sits down and Jesus asks her a simple question, give me a drink. And this amazed her because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along with each other. In fact, if you want to put some kind of hierarchy, you have Jews, and then you have everybody else, the, the Gentiles, the nations, the Goyim, and then you have the Samaritans on the bottom. So this was a big step on Jesus' part. He was reaching out beyond his borders, beyond the borders of what would have been thought proper in that day, and he asks her for a drink. And she says, well, hey, Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other. Why are you asking me this? And he goes on to explain that if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water that would have filled up. And she wants that water, not realizing she had a need beyond the physical to the spiritual that needed to be filled up in her life. And they go back and forth in this discussion talking about different subjects and finally get on to the topic of worship. And she points out the fact, well, Samaritans worship here uh, on this mountain but you Jews say it has to be in Jerusalem. And we get to the point here where Jesus says to her, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We Jews worship what we know because salvation is of the Jews. And here's our focus today. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman goes on to say, hey, I know Messiah is coming, that is the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declares to her, hey, I who am speaking to you right now am he. So at that point, Jesus reveals for us something, some facts, some information that we wouldn't have had otherwise but really summarizes, puts things together in a way that is just amazing. In fact, if we were to take this passage and put it into a nutshell, it might be going this sentence, due to God's nature, not just any worship will do. Because God is who He is, 
It's not up to us to worship God just however we want to worship Him. And we need to worship Him and Him alone when we do that. I think, first of all, the most important teaching, the one that just jumps out off the page from here, and one that's hard for us to understand, is in verse 24, the first part, where it says, God is spirit. In some of the older translations, it says God is a spirit, but that a isn't in the original. It just says God is spirit. Not physical, doesn't have body, doesn't have parts or, or passions, nothing like that. And because God is spirit, immaterial, there's some things we learn about that. God is infinite. He has no end. There was never a time when God didn't exist. And there's never a place where He isn't. In fact, in Psalm 139, David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, oh, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, and will guide me. God is so infinite, so infinite. He's infinite. There's no end to Him. There's no place we can go and say, well, God's not here. God is everywhere. But not only is He infinite, because He is spirit, He is also eternal. He always was and always will be. In fact, God exists beyond time. There's no place, no time, no before God. God always is. Deuteronomy 33.27, Moses, in some of the last words he's writing to the people, say, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. God is the one who wraps His arms around us when we have the bad times and says, hey, I'm here for you. And when we're falling down, we're weak, we have difficulties. Those are the arms that are underneath us, lifting us up. And they're always there for us. He's the eternal God there with us at all times. And last but not least, the fact that God is spirit, God is unchangeable. Wow. We were just talking this morning about the fact, hey, we're not getting older. Well, yeah, we all are. To one degree or another. Another day older and a deeper in debt as the song goes. But God is not. God is unchangeable. He is always the same. Malachi 3.6. God says this so clearly. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. God is spirit and He doesn't change. He doesn't flip-flop. He's not moody and one moment He's happy for us and the other moment... No, God is the same. He's always there. So God doesn't have these things. He doesn't have a body, part, passions. He's infinitely unchangeable. To us, we are like an unlike. Of course, we have bodies. We have parts, we have passions, we have things that slow us down. Our memories don't always work right. Sometimes the things that don't hurt don't work. And that's the nature of life. God is infinite. We are finite. Just as it is, uh, there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's the nature of life. Born, birth, and death. That's it. 
we're finite. That's, there's a beginning, there's an end. And not only that, God is eternal, but we're stuck in time until we get beyond time after we are dead. Just as is destined to die once for people and then to face judgment, Jeremiah, or Hebrews writes, that's going to happen to us. We're going to die and we're going to face judgment. And after that, we'll be beyond time, but right now we're in time. This world is in time and it's winding down. And last, as we saw, God is unchangeable, but we change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Because God is spirit. He doesn't change, but we have bodies. And truly, we have spirits that change also. And in doing that, we need to be decaying outwardly, but being renewed inwardly. Being changed on the inside where the best and the most change happens. Ephesians 4.24 tells us what this is like. It says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You get that? The new self, what God is doing in us. True righteousness, holiness, righteousness in relationship to the law, doing what we're supposed to do, not doing what we're not supposed to do through God. And holiness, being set apart to serve God, set apart as something special. And in Colossians 3.10, it also says, And having put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, we know things because God reveals them to us. He gives us the information of what His will is for us, and He says, okay, do this. But He doesn't leave us in a vacuum. He says, I'm here for you to help you do these things. But so often... What do we do? We, got, we try to do things in our own strength and it doesn't work out. So we need to change for the better. To grow better, to grow more like Him, little by little, one day at a time. And the change, as we said, begins on the inside. Oh, the outward, you know, getting older, wasting away, but the inside gets being renewed day by day. And this change... To our spirits, just as God is spirit, is more important, or we can understand it better, if we see that God is seeking true worshipers. We were talking this week at home, and I said, would it surprise you to know that God is looking for something? In our passage, verse 23, the end of it says that God is looking for those who will worship, true worshipers in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, you know what it's like. You misplace your car keys. I misplaced something important from work this last week. But God doesn't lose anything. There's nothing that is lost that He doesn't get. Why is that? Because God knows everything. He sees everything. But it still says he is seeking, and he's seeking worshipers. And worship is the calling for God's people. You see that all through Scripture. In the Psalms, 95 says, 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 100, verse 2. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. And 86, 9. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with with joyful songs. 
Worship, worship, worship. There's so much of the Old Testament that's devoted to God's worship, and God wants us to be doing this. We'll talk about what that means more in just a moment. And think about this. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Magi, wise men, came from the east and said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Why? We saw his star and have come to worship him. Worship is the response to God, to what God has done and what God is doing. And in Revelation, we see uh, verse 15, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So God is looking for true worshipers. Worship is what His people are to be doing. So what's that whole seeking thing? How does that fit in? It's not like God lost somebody, but we understand that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, those who were separated from Him by sin. Everything He knows us to be, He wants us to be even more for Him. Sin separates us from God, and that's the bad news of the good news of the gospel. And it's the good news of what Jesus came to do, and as we remember throughout this week, His sacrifice for us of what that means. For the Son of Man came to seek and save which was lost in Luke 19. By faith in Jesus, we have been found. We are believers. And because of that, we know Him. And that's what God wants us to do. And ultimately, worship is the de 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 destiny of the believer. What we're doing here, Sunday morning after Sunday morning at home, when we take the opportunity week after week, we are practicing for heaven. We are practicing for what's yet to come because that's what we're going to be doing. Some people are like, oh, great, a big church service for eternity. No, it won't be like that. It's going to be much more enjoyable. It's going to be more fun. It's going to be joy. That's for all the people who are in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After that I looked... And before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And get this relationship to what we celebrate today. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You get that? <laughs> Palm Sunday is just a prelude, just a, a snapshot of what's yet to come. And that multitude is for all believers. We will be gathered before the throne of God, there to praise Him. Salvation belongs to our, our God and to the Lamb. We lose things. A man had lost his keys. And the police found him there in the street underneath this lamp looking around. He said, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm looking for my keys. Well, I don't see him here. Where'd you drop him? Oh, I dropped him over there. Well, it's dark over there. 
Well, why are you looking over here? Well, it's light here. Well, you're not going to find them over here. They're going to have to be over there someplace. But to God, all things are light. God sees us, sees our hearts, and knows us. We who are His know, are known by Him, and He knows what He wants. And God is seeking for the ultimate goal of His glory, to worship Him, to come before Him. So what does this mean then for us now? If God is spirit and He is looking for true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth, what does that mean? Well, we see first of all that true worshipers must worship in spirit. If we look back at our passage, verses 23 and 24, first of all, it says that the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit. And secondly, God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. He repeats it. He emphasizes it. Jesus wants to make sure that this woman gets the idea. It's not about the place specifically, but it's about the heart. It's about the attitude, the mind, the action of worshiping and, and what it's like on the inside. It's not something outward physical, but it's inward. It's not going through the motions, and yet that happens so often. We show up with our bodies, but our minds are someplace else. Our hearts aren't here because of things that are going on. It's one of the things that people in the world don't get. Oh, there are very many spiritual people out there. I'm very spiritual, but what it is, you ask them what, what they get into, and they'll be into meditation, they'll be into this, they'll be into that, and that really doesn't say anything about them, their relationship to God. Being spiritual for them is okay. Being religious, as they would call us, is not okay. And yet God calls us in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The older versions say reasonable service. Those all fit together. The, the, the words are a bit ambiguous, and I think that's good for us because we realize it's not just a physical thing, it's a mental thing, it's a heart thing. And we see the Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They exceeded the expectations of Paul and those who were with him. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. They made a commitment, and the result of this is they gave offerings to help others. So, true worship us worship in spirit. For us, nothing not just the physical thing, but also inwardly, but also through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, who is God, helps us to get it right. Because in and of ourselves, our worship is not so good sometimes, quite often. In John chapter 6, the Lord has addressed about different things there, and He says, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. That's the physical, physical body. The words I have spoken to you, they are Spirit and they are life. It's through the words of God that we come to worship Him. 
and in John 14, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So it's the Holy Spirit who reminds us of God's Word and applies it to our lives, helps us to change, as we talked about earlier. And in John 16, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will speak, He will not speak on His own, He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will, will make known to you. So it's the Holy Spirit who does these things. Sometimes we don't even realize it, and sometimes we see it as in Scripture. You remember in Luke chapter 2, after the birth of Jesus, and they took him to, to the, the temple for circumcision. There was a man there by the name of Simeon who was righteous, devout. He was waiting for the promised one to come. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit. You get this? So the Spirit had been talking to him. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought... In the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can let me go in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, and my burden has been released. He will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for all your people. It was through the Holy Spirit that he was brought into that place. He was open to that. And the question is, are we? Do we come to worship with expectation? Are we ready for God to change us? Do we think we even need to be changed? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. Our responses aren't right. Our lives aren't lived correctly. We need the Holy Spirit to move in us, to lead us and guide us, to make us into what He wants us to be. And so our preparation is important used to be Saturday night was bath night, get ready for Sunday. And there wasn't a whole lot that you did. Of course, these days, it's a, it's a lot different. And when we come here, do we come ready, willing to have God work in us, ready to have God change us, make us ready to worship? One thought for the future, and maybe you do this already, but come in, sit down, and Ask God to make you ready. And then through the Holy Spirit, really, ask God to help you, please, this day. I want to worship you, Lord, the way you want to be worshipped. So we need to worship in spirit, but we also need to worship in truth. And what does that mean? Well, as I said before, this is repeated in both verses. The true worshipers will worship the Father in truth. And God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in truth. What does that mean? Well, first of all, truthfully, as, full, as real believers, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and it's through Him 
through His death on the cross and His resurrection, that we stand before the Father. It's through what He has done for us that makes the difference. And Jesus says to uh, Thomas, I am the truth. He's the full revelation of God. And also, the Holy Spirit in John 15 and 16, both chapters, is spoken of as the Spirit of truth. So it helps us to speak the truth, to speak the truth in love, to worship Him truly from our hearts. Angelus, back in earlier days in this country, was holding a, um, um, a meeting, a revival meeting, but it wasn't quite that. It was to pray for rain. This, this area of the country out west, probably back during the Dust Bowl, had, hadn't seen rain for months now, it seemed like. And the people all showed up for, for this meeting, and, and he said, are you ready for God to send rain? Yes, yes, we, we're ready. Do you believe God can send rain? Yes, yes, we believe. Then where are your umbrellas? Where are your umbrellas? Do we come truthfully ready for God to change us? Truthfully ready to worship Him? But truthfully worshiping or worshiping in truth is not only just our hearts, our actions through Jesus, but it's also according to God's truth. There's a pattern we see in the Word that a lot of people miss, that worship is also dialogue. Now, right now, this isn't a dialogue. This is a monologue, one person speaking. But throughout the service, it's the opportunity for us to speak to God, but also for us to listen to God. And this goes back and forth. There are several passages that, that handle it this way. My favorite is Isaiah chapter 6, but there's also Jeremiah chapter 1, and all through the book of Revelation, probably nine of the 20 chapters, you see a dialogue going on in heaven where an event happens and pe people of God, they respond. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah come, is brought into the throne room and he's looking for a place to stand and the train of, of the of the Lord of glory, it just filled the whole room, but he just can't find any place to, to step. And he hears the holy, 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 and he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a, a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. And then the Lord responds to him and cleanses his lips, and then says, okay, who wants to go? And I says, okay, send me. So there's that back and forth idea of, of dialogue between God, between His people. But also worship is offering. According to, the, to Scripture, we're supposed to come and bring something to God. Out of love, we surrender to His will. Out of what God has done for us, we often respond. And yet even who God is should make us say, okay, God, whatever you want. But there's confusion about offering and how it's supposed to go. There's all kinds of stories about it. There's one story about uh, Jennifer. She was in the church service and she felt God's pulling at her heart to give herself over. And so when the offering plate came by, she asked the man to set it on the floor. 
She wanted to get in the offering plate. She wanted to offer herself to God for whatever God wanted. She was taking a step forward. She was a bit confused, but that's okay. She had her heart in the right place, and she was responding to God the way God wanted. She was truly worshiping. She was truly ready to step out. Okay, God, what do you want? And so we see this about, about worship. We see what God has done and is doing in our lives. That God is spirit. He is seeking true worshipers. He wants the worshipers to worship in spirit, spiritual worship, and through the Holy Spirit, He also wants us to worship in truth, through the truth of Scripture and truthfully from our hearts. And yet, why is it this time, Sunday morning is probably the most segregated, the most split up time that there is. There's so many differences between us. I think, first of all, God makes us as different people. And while that may not be optimal and someday we will stand before Him, how we handle problems shows our background in a lot of things. There was a town that was besieged by squirrels. And the squirrels were getting into everything, including the churches, including the buildings. And each one of the different congregations responded in a different way. The Presbyterians said, well, it must be part of God's plan. So we just got to leave the squirrels alone and maybe they'll leave whenever the time comes. And they did. And the Baptists found out the squirrels were getting into the baptistry. And so they thought, well, you know what? If we fill up with water and put a water slide in there, maybe they'll go in there and drown. And we'll get rid of the squirrels that way because we can't have them in the church. Well, found, they found that out and they found out that they could swim. So that didn't work to get rid of the squirrels. And the Lutherans thought, well, we can't have this in our church. So they humanely trapped them and then they took them over by the Baptist church and let them go. And the thing about that was that whenever the Baptists found out about the, the squirrels being able to swim, they drained the baptistry and took out the water slide and the squirrels went back over to the, to the Lutheran church. So it didn't work. And the Episcopalians couldn't think of what to do, so they put pans of alcohol around the church. And you know how much damage a drunk squirrel can make? Didn't make sense. The Roman Catholics thought of a really good way to do this. They caught them and baptized them and made them members of the church. And then they only saw them a couple of times a year for Christmas and Easter. But last but not least, the Jewish congregation there in that community decided to make them members and went for circumcision, but we haven't heard a whole lot more at what happened after that. We can only imagine what, what the, the outcome was. You see, each church was different, had different ideas and ways of doing this, but the trick is always to go back to Scripture. What does the Scripture say, and how can we do it the best? Are we worshiping through the Spirit because God is Spirit? Are we true worshipers because that's what God wants us to be, no matter what our differences are? And do we put that first because knowing this, this is just a test. This is just a trial, looking forward to what God is going to do with us in heaven. Let us be true worshipers every Sunday, not just once in a while because that's what God wants from us.